it's just you and me here. The other sirens are tending to their victims, and I have you here in this dark, cold, humid space. It's only us, and you can't reach out to me for comfort. You can't even see me to know that everything is okay. So what if we added footsteps to this? How about a little bit of scratching overhead? You can't see what's causing any of it, and you can't go anywhere else to avoid it. Footsteps are getting louder, closer, and now there's a sound of distant murmur. How long is it going to take for you to break? What was that breath on the back of your neck? Over the past few years, I've been haunted in this house that I love, mostly without anyone else seeing or experiencing it. I'm Jackie DeVore, and this is The Haunting of a Siren of Scream. It started with a puddle, a mysterious puddle. Well, okay. Actually, it really, really started with a legless man and a disastrous hurricane. Something people always get around to asking you when they find out that you're as into horror as I am, when you're someone that has built haunted houses, spent the better part of a decade organizing a large horror fest and zombie walk, and spends their free time talking about horror, they always seem to find a way to ask you if you personally believe in the supernatural. I've referred to myself as a skeptic for years, but recent experiences have had me reflecting on a lifetime of interactions that make it incredibly difficult to label myself that anymore. When I was a child, I wrote out a Category 5 hurricane in the hallway of my childhood home while the entire house swayed violently and my uncles held the walls apart screaming, we're all going to die. I walked outside during the eye of the storm. The sight of the eye wall and the bizarre colors of the sky are forever burned into my mind. But the most memorable part of that experience was actually something that happened a few days later, when I saw a man, all dusky and gray, but not in an unnatural way, step out from behind a pile of rubble, only to see that his legs faded out at his knees. Not ended, faded out. If you want to hear that story in its entirety, look up episode 53 of the Golden Ghouls podcast. When I was in middle school, we lived in an incredibly old house that was previously a funeral home. There were honestly way too many unexplained things that happened there to recount, including tapping down the walls in a specific pattern at a specific time every night. Birds flying into the windows around me, which, if I'm holding the truth stick, still happens to me a lot to this day. And the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And now, I live in a century-old Victorian home in the historic district of Savannah, Georgia, the quote-unquote most haunted city in America. We moved here six years ago and almost immediately started finding mystery puddles. Always in the same spot, always unexplained. We checked the pipes. It was too far from any window, too far from any vent. Nothing anyone spilled, just nothing. I thought it was super weird, but would just clean it up and move on. At the time of us moving here, my now husband, then fiance Drew, worked a job that brought him all over the area throughout the day, and he didn't yet know the city. 
So we joined up on one of those keep track of your family apps to help that transition. If he was lost while out on the road or needed a route to get to a certain place efficiently, he could text me and I'd use his location to help. It would also tell me when he left the house and when he came back. And really, I hated that part. Unnecessary notifications are a blight on my digital timeline. I turned that off multiple times, but it kept sending the notifications. Then it started telling me that he had just arrived home at three and four in the morning. Now I'm very much a night owl and am pretty much always up at that hour, but he never is. He certainly didn't leave the house that late. Occasionally it would freak me out and I'd go and check in on him predictably to find him sound asleep in his usual spot. While I was up at all hours of the night, I would also hear unusual sounds. Most frequently, scratches and stomps in the attic. Now, I do not go into the attic. That just doesn't happen. So when it happened, I would ask Drew to go up there and check it out. Never, not once, in the six years we have lived in this house, has he found a damn thing up there. Not a dropping, not a chew mark, not a scratch mark, certainly not an animal. Nothing. This was bizarre for more than the reason of the sound, but because being in this old house, in this old district, in this old swampy town, we've had to deal with mice in our house on multiple occasions. There's never even been any signs of them in the attic. I would also hear heavy, heavy stomps up and down the stairway, and sometimes even the sound of chatter. We had an alarm system that would detect if anyone opened the doors or the windows, but I very soon insisted on cameras as well. My paranoia that the sanctum of the house of Vorekula had been penetrated in the early morning hours while I was alone and mildly defenseless had been growing to unreasonable levels. I will skip to the end on that one little detail, though. There is never a damn thing on those cameras to explain the ongoings in our house, but they still kept happening. One night, I had heard a noise downstairs. At first, it was low enough to be explained away by our fluffle of bunnies up to their usual mischief. But then there was a loud clatter and extremely heavy footsteps down there. I woke Drew up, saying that someone was in the house. We both grabbed weapons and ran downstairs to check. Of course, there was no one there. The alarm hadn't gone off. Nothing was on the cameras. But there is this palpable stench in the den. You could walk into it. This has happened multiple times and still happens now. Just one specific spot that smells like an old ship that crashed up onto the shore centuries ago, combined with the thick, offending smell of meat gone bad. I've even floated the idea of a secret attic or crawlspace family living at our house just to try to justify what I was hearing and my reactions. And I know it's cliche, but then there's the thing with the pets seeing things that aren't there. If you've been with us a while, you might know that Drew and I rescue bunnies, and we have our own little fluffle in this house. Now, we do typically take them in from some pretty terrible situations, and they all have their own triggers. For example, 
Finn hates it when I sing and will thump his little heart out anytime I'm singing along to Hamilton. He simply has no appreciation for the fact that everyone cheers when Washington comes on stage. However, one thing they all seem to share is an affinity for locating a spot in the room, often right behind us, to make unflinching, uncomfortable eye contact for a disturbing amount of time, oftentimes resulting in thumping. Despite the casual naming of Disney creatures, bunnies don't just randomly thump. They only do so when they're afraid or angry. Their purpose of a thump is to alert their loved ones of nearby danger. We even had a bunny that we named Ghost because she was just constantly spooked by her surroundings. After a few months of not receiving notifications suggesting my husband was out on the town at 4 a.m., I received one. I instinctively headed toward the bedroom to check on him. I grabbed and twisted the doorknob and carefully eased that door open so as not to disturb him. I wanted to scan the bedroom, but I just couldn't. My eyes were instantly and powerfully drawn to the corner of the room, where I was suddenly knocked right the fuck back by the sight of a thick shadow in the shape of a man wearing a coat and a hat. I froze and dissociated in such a way that it felt like I had left my body for an absurd amount of time. But after what was in reality a few seconds of staring at this thing in the corner of my bedroom, I turned, walked back to the office, and sat there contemplating whether I should wake Drew up and let him know there's a fucking shadow in the room, or let him sleep without the knowledge of the watcher in our home. After the shadow incident, more things started happening. A wider variety of incidents and more often. But I actually wasn't afraid of them at this point. They felt somehow softer. I would be laying in bed having trouble getting to sleep and feel a very gentle, caring hand on my back that would instantly make me feel more at ease. I would feel a bunny jump up on the bed, hop up over my legs, and snuggle into me when there wasn't even any bunny in the room. The scratches in the attic still happened from time to time, but they weren't as frequent or as loud as before, so I stopped asking Drew to check in on them. It absolutely felt like we were still being haunted in this house, but it wasn't by an upset tenant, more so by a welcoming host. Now, I'm not sure what happened, or even when. Looking back, it seems like it happened all at once and gradually at the same time. But the gentle calm of a doting specter changed to an overwhelming, oppressive presence. I started hearing footsteps running up and down the stairs again, heavier and more frequent than before. I would feel something over my shoulder, then turn around and see a shadow pass by in the hallway. Last August, my husband was laid off when his company made cutbacks due to COVID. We spent all of September worried and working to sort things out until he landed a great new gig. Only problem is that it's located in Colorado. They're giving us plenty of time to get moved across the country for this, but in the meantime, we have to pack up, deep clean, and sell our house. While he and I are psyched for this move, you might imagine not every being in this house took well to this news. One evening, while on my own, I went to put my small desk easel down beside my chair like I usually do, and it was met with resistance. 
I thought it might be a bunny in the way, so I just nudged it a little bit. And it took a few seconds to move. And as it did, I looked around the room to see that all of my bunnies were accounted for and fast asleep. Around a week later, I felt and saw a dark, medium-sized creature run under my legs, under my desk, and across the room. Again, I immediately assumed these were the antics of a playful bunny, only to find them slumbering in various spots around the room. My heart sank, and I didn't see where that shadow creature went. Throughout all of this, I would mention these experiences to Drew, only for him to act in such a lukewarm manner that it seemed like he just didn't believe me. I told him I can hear what sounded like distant chatter coming from the front of the house. I told him every time I heard loud footsteps on the stairs or on the landing in front of the office door when I was alone. I urged him to go down and take a look at what's causing the sound of someone stacking heavy wooden boxes coming from downstairs or the scratches and footsteps in the attic. He very rarely ever heard or saw any of it, save for the occasional lights turning on and off for no reason, and consistently came back with, nothing happened, nothing's out of place, nothing's wrong. I felt like I was slowly going insane, and it was all just amusing to the people around me who would nod along to my ridiculous stories. At around 3 a.m. one night, I was sitting in the office by myself as usual, and I heard the scratching like something really going at it. It sounded like a large animal was having a fight with itself right over my head. I just sat there and listened and had Drew check the attic in the morning. As usual, nothing was amiss. The next night, around the same time, the scratching started again. This time I turned my camera on and took video of it. When Drew got up, I showed him the video and confirmed that he heard it too but he was still greatly unimpressed. That last bit happened right around Christmas time last year, and I mentioned it on the last show that we had of 2020. Before we recorded that, I told my good friend Martha about the goings-on in our home, and she told me I should offer it something, something that I made and made with love. Anyone that has stayed at my house can attest to the fact that I love making and sharing my homemade cookies with my loved ones. Christmas sugar cookies with my very own buttercream frosting are some of my favorite things to make, and even more so, some of my favorite things to eat. So, of course, I made cookies for Christmas, and I made one special. My cookie cutters had already been packed up, so I made my sugar cookie dough into a log and rolled it in green and red sugar so that it would color the edges. I whipped up my vanilla bean buttercream frosting and decorated the cookies with sprinkles. For this particular one, I took extra care in shaping and decorating it. I topped it with some bloody bone-shaped sprinkles, and then I had Drew put it in the attic with a note written on my adorable telegram-themed stationery. I told another friend about this plan, and she asked me, what are you going to do when you find a big bite taken out of it? And it suddenly occurred to me that I probably wasn't entirely emotionally ready to handle that result. Truth be told, though, there should have been some bites in it, right? As I mentioned before, you know, we live in a Victorian historic district of a city in a century-old house in the swamp. We are frequently having to chase off mice and bugs. But that was three months ago, and there are no bites in that cookie. 
It's still there in the attic with the accompanying note, but not even so much as a crumb has been removed from it. The oppressive feeling of being watched just kept building. I felt like I was being taunted. It got so bad that I had to start closing the office door when Drew went to bed, just so that I could limit the amount of space that I needed to be aware of at any given time. And that smell, that dirty bilge water smell that would smack you in the face. It was so strong. It was like walking into an almost solid. It smelled like the ocean, but not in the way that makes you want to go to Target and buy candles and linen pillows. No, this was in the way that makes you think of where the bog meets the ocean. It was salty and thick and smelled like the decomposing body of an alligator left behind to rot. It would sometimes just suddenly occur all around me. But more often than not, it would occupy a very specific spot in the hallway, right in front of the office door. And then it started communicating. I had attempted an EVP recording before, but didn't receive anything worthwhile. Then my co-host and BFF Blue suggested that I download and try the Ghost Tube app. It's a multifunctional ghost hunting app that does real-time EVP. The first couple of times I opened it and fiddled around with it, literally nothing happened. I want to preface this by saying that I've been keeping notes on these ghostly incidents for the past few months now, and I've been keeping them in several different types of documents. This next part I copied to these notes on at least three separate occasions, and on each of these occasions, they mysteriously went missing. Just specifically this part of the story that I'm about to tell you. In fact, when I sat down to write this all out, it went missing again, and I had to search through archived chats to get the details. So with that, one evening I was sitting here at my desk at about 5 a.m., I was drifting off and trying to fight my tired body enough to build up the energy to go and lay in a bed like a normal. I looked over at Min, my really fluffy bunny, and she was completely on her side, flopped out in the big, soft office chair, just napping so sweetly and soundly. I took her picture, and then I looked back at my screen. Instantly, I felt someone walk across the room behind me. With the hairs on my arms raised, I looked back over to Min, and she was suddenly wide awake and at the very edge of the chair and staring at one spot behind me, bewildered. I took another picture. The feeling didn't go away. I just kept feeling this presence looming over me. So I opened up the Ghost Tube app to see if I could figure it out. I was still very groggy and trying to shake this feeling that something was standing over me. So honestly, I wasn't paying that much attention to the app when out of nowhere, a robotic feminine voice shoots out from my phone to say, Gone. I literally jumped. I don't get startled very easily, but this made me jump. I stared at my phone in disbelief and it said, Elderly. Now, I was fully spooked at this point, proper spooked. So naturally, I pressed record. And I use the app to take a look around the room to see if it can find anything visually. Then I asked it, were you killed by a gun? Immediately, without losing a beat, it responded, leave me alone. Yeah, I got the fuck out of that room very quickly. Later in the week, I was in the bathroom again, middle of the night, only one awake in the house. I have this possibly irrational fear that someone will break into our house in the middle of the night specifically while I'm in the bathroom. 
So imagine my terror when I heard hurried footsteps climb the stairs, pace the upstairs hallway, then stand on the other side of the bathroom door. And then the door moved. A door in a room that always feels kind of pressurized to the point that the door is pressed hard against the jam within the doorway. A door that doesn't move on its own and takes effort to be moved started hammering back and forth within the doorway. I briefly told myself, well, there must be a window open somewhere, but quickly realized that wasn't really possible. All the upstairs windows were sealed, and I knew that they were sealed well because I did it myself. I waited until it was over, just hoping and wishing that that doorknob wouldn't turn. It felt like another person was on the other side of that door, and more noticeably, that smell of stagnant dock water, salty and earthy and old and crumbling, was all around me. It didn't last long, but it felt like hours of being trapped and helpless. When it felt safe again, I carefully left the room and checked the house for anything out of the ordinary. Of course, everything was in its place. Our doors had been compromised. No one had come into the house. I went back into the office and I opened up the ghost tube app to see if there was any other kind of activity. I panned around the room with the camera and suddenly it said, Sean. I started asking questions to the room about Sean. I asked who Sean was. If the entity speaking was Sean, if it prefers to be called that, it told me, be quiet. I said, okay, I'll stop. And I stopped recording, but I still had the app open. Not a minute later, it said, keep recording down. So I pressed record again and I angled it downward so that it was about eye level. I panned around the room again and the app declared, Sharon, Sharon. After that, it fell silent. The next day I was telling Drew about the interaction and was showing him how the ghost tube app worked. As he was looking at it, it said the words, Seven. Maybe. Axe. I told it I didn't like it when it referred to weapons, and I turned off the app. I haven't turned it back on since. That last incident was just a couple of weeks ago. The footsteps haven't stopped. The scratches in the attic have not quieted. The shadows seem to be around every corner. And the smell of old seawater seems to take an almost human shape in various areas in the house at varying times. Some nights, the feeling of someone stooping over me close enough to breathe on my neck is so powerful, I try to go to sleep when I'm not even near tired, just so that I'm not alone in facing whatever it is that lives in this house with us. It also occurs to me that this is the house I became chronically ill in, the house I started to slowly internally bleed in, and developed a degenerative musculoskeletal disease that is typically reserved for 70-year-old ladies. This is where I lost my bunny familiar too soon, where I became too sick to hold a normal 9-to-5 career, and learned that my chances of dying young to some variety of cancer isn't a question of what if, but rather, which one? I stopped and asked my husband what, if any, bad luck he has had here living in this house. After a thoughtful pause, he responded, I think all the bad things have really happened to you. I nodded in agreement. I've always had weird luck and streaks of bad luck. I consider my level of fortune in this life to be defined as chaotic luck. But I don't think I can ignore the level of coincidence that has blanketed my experiences here. In fact, when we moved here, getting this house wasn't something we expected. 
We lived in another state and had been stalking real estate listings for weeks. And I had this house on my wish list, as in, it wasn't in the price range initially approved by our credit union, but I wish it was. When we came down for a weekend to check out houses, we were initially paired with an agent that simply did not understand what we were looking for. I wanted the charming two-story Victorian architecture with the columns and sprawling porches with the ceiling painted a haint blue. But he had a listing of mid-century bungalows he wanted us to look at. While we were at dinner the night before, we were discussing how we were going to solve this mixed match with our agent. But it felt like our needs were just being bulldozed over by an overzealous agent who thought he knew what we wanted more than we did and that there wasn't going to be much changing his mind. Out of nowhere during this conversation, I got a text saying that our agent had a family emergency, had to leave town suddenly, and we were being left in the very capable hands of another agent. When we met with her the next morning, I told her my concerns and what we were looking for. She picked up the printouts of houses the other agent left for us. She said, well, none of these match that, so let's just ditch them and toss them in the recycling bin without any fanfare. We looked at 11 houses that day, and none of them were quite right. On a whim, I said, let's check out this house. I know it's not on our price range, but just for fun. We walked in and were instantly in love. Our new agent contacted the seller and got enough knocked off the price to hit our original price range. I was working remotely at the time and could go anywhere. Drew was changing careers completely, yet landed a job in another state within about two weeks of very casually looking. Our plans to move started when I came home from a company trip to my boss's beach house in December six years ago, and I told Drew we were moving to the ocean. I grew up near the ocean and I missed it greatly. By January, Drew had a brand new, well-paying job. By the end of March, we owned our first home, and a couple weeks after that, we were moved in. The syzygy of our finances, Drew's job, and the new house was almost startling. It was so perfect. Everyone told us at the time that it was meant to be, like plans have been put into action on our behalf for everything to turn out this way. Someone told me I should buy a lottery ticket. I did. We didn't win anything. The other day, something especially bizarre happened that I'm still trying to reckon with. We're going to have to save that for the next update. For now, we'll continue packing and planning our westward move. As I'm typing this, my bunnies are each fixating on the same empty spot one by one and thumping at nothing. I'll leave a note for the next owner. 